For repetition. What's that, Dave? Repetition. Okay, I think I'm going to remember it now. We got our cold open. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education laboratory, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I am Dave Darrington. And I'm Adam Avramescu. And today, we have a special episode. Adam, what are we going to do today? Today, we are going to recap a conference that we both attended and spoke at, which is called DevLearn. It's exciting. I really like this event, Adam. And I think what we'll do today is frame this up for those of you in our audience who may not have either heard of this event or might have heard of it and, and hadn't gone or attended it yet. So we want to kind of give you a deeper dive into this event from the customer education lens. Absolutely. But before we do that, oh yeah, we would be remiss not to point out that today is National Chicken Soup for the Soul Day. I love that. It's a great book, right? Really helpful. Yeah. Have you ever read A Chicken Soup for the Soul? I I think, you know, I've read a little bit of it. It's been so long. It came I'm out pretty sure I read one of the ago. original ones back in the 90s, but... It's kind yeah, of like uh, Seven Habits books. You know, there's, there's a dime a dozen. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole series now. There's a dynasty of Chicken Soup for the Soul days. <laughs> but, you know, Dave, it, it's also another special day. Maybe not exactly to the day, but uh, I believe this episode actually marks one year of us releasing C-Lab podcasts. Da-da. We need a little kazoo or something going off in the background, but... Oh, I should have brought my kazoo. Should have. Out the kazoo. Isn't that... So, uh, <clears throat> dear listeners, thank you for sticking with us for a year, uh, if you've been there since the beginning. And, of course, if you're new to the show, I hope you'll be with us for years to come. Awesome. No, we're really, we're really thankful for our audience. We have a lot of listeners today. And if you're in customer education or even customer success, share the love, get the word out, go to iTunes and give us a review. And with that, let's go ahead and dive into our experiences with DevLearn. Okay, Dave. So tell us again, tell us about your experience at DevLearn. You were there the whole time. I was there the whole time. Uh, Yes, it was a full week in Las Vegas. Um, you know, every time you get into Las Vegas, you know, it's, it's crazy. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I really liked what I experienced at this event. And, and I'll back into this just from the, from the high level. So it, this event happened from October 21st to 25th. And this was at the Mirage, which is a great place at a, at a wonderful, wonderful um, area. There was a lot going on. It was actually almost overwhelming. Um, and Adam, you and I presented on, uh, I think it was Thursday of that week. Um, it was right towards the end of the conference. Yeah, we, we will talk about that more in a little bit. And actually, one of our previous episodes, we redid that entire presentation as it wasn't recorded at the event. So that was measuring ROI by collecting, connecting and visualizing data. So check out that episode. So for those of you who don't know what DevLearn is, this is one of the largest education conferences. Um, largely, I would say it targets um, learning and development, but there is a solid cohort of people from our customer education world. Uh, it, it was actually quite, in, in my case, it was quite a, a surprise. Um, well, one thing that makes it a little bit different, Dave, is, you know, unlike some conferences which are really focused on 
these internal L&D budget holders. So you get a lot of mm-hmm. like chief HR officers and heads of L&D for really uh, large corporations. This conference is a little more oriented on the doers. It's hosted by the e-learning guild. So it's really focused on people who are uh, leaders and practitioners specifically when it comes to e-learning. Yeah. Yeah, so no, that, that kind of cuts across both internal and external. I know, and it, it's actually quite refreshing. Um, you know, what the, the thing that was really interesting about this one is that it was so heavily focused on data, which is something you and I like to talk about, right? We love talking about data. All so Dave, what, what were your goals for uh, attending the event? Uh, for me, uh, again, you, you always like to make a justification, uh, not just to your, your boss, but also for yourself. What are you going into a week-long event to learn? For me, first and foremost, what I really wanted to do is attend a lot of sessions and learn new strategies that could inform how we at my company and we in general as customer education professionals um, help our learners. Uh, I wanted also to meet vendors in different categories. For instance, uh, I, I'm really intrigued by microlearning, which we'll talk about today. Uh, certification is a hot topic for our team. Uh, we've talked about it on this podcast as well. Adam, you just launched your program, um, and and you know how hard this is. And then I wanted to get in front of, um, uh, talk to some other vendors about you know partner training, how we can scale up. And then finally, I wanted to network with other learning professionals. So, so what about you? What was your goal? Well, I had a conflict. So uh, <laughs> we actually had DevLearn the exact same week that we were launching our certification program at our developer conference, which is called SPEC. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend the entire event, but obviously one of my goals was to come and present our, our session, but then also learn as much as I could along the way for the sessions that I could attend. And it's also a good chance to find other people, especially who are doing uh, customer education, content development, because you know we're always trying to figure out, hey, there's this world of instructional design and this world of customer education. How do those two converge? Exactly. And that's, it's kind of interesting. I I would say I'd see better now how those do align. Yeah, I think so too. So Dave, you mentioned data. Um, Can you tell me more about what we learned about data this year? Well, you know, there was a lot of sessions and I think it's interesting to, to go back to the basics and how they framed out this event, bookended it, in fact, with some keynotes. Uh, so it was fun to see if any of you have seen Sophia the Robot. Uh, this is uh, machine learning. I think we kind of get away from AI and talk really more about machine learning. Um, and this was wild. Uh, up on stage, uh, she was interacting with people, talking to the audience, very expressive. It was a little weird. Um, but, you know, that's that's part of the future, looking at how we interact with, um, well, Alexa, you know, this is kind of like a glorified Alexa that can actually have facial expressions. That was really neat. Um, Talitha Williams, uh, you may have heard of her. She's been on, I think, a a recent Nova episode, and she's a data scientist. So she got up on stage and talked about uh, education context of data science, which is super neat. Uh, But throughout the entire session, throughout the entire event, it was really clear that learning is about data, the interpretation of data as well. And the, the thing, and, and I'd like to get your gut read on this as well, but what it seemed to me, every time I got into a conversation with somebody, all of the participants, let's say that again, words are hard. 
all of the participants here seem to really be struggling with the concept of data. So that made our present presentation extremely well attended. It was really cool. So what are your thoughts? It was, it was definitely cool to see the variety of folks who showed up, not just at our session, but in general, who was at the conference. And I agree with you. There's always a bit of a disconnect when you go to a conference like this between what are these very future-facing trends. So, you know, we talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning. These are things that are going to have an impact eventually on our on our field, and in some cases, maybe way sooner than we think. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's always this this piece of something that's coming in the future. I remember going to uh, you know similar conferences years ago, and they would say, um, you know, how is uh, how is gamification going to change the world of e-learning? How will mobile change the world of e-learning? Right. There are always trends that we have to keep uh, aware of because they are going to come and affect our world at some point. Um, and now AI and machine learning and uh, VR are starting to become more realities. But the thing that really is in front of us um, that started to become our reality is the thing that we used to talk about, like how is big data going to affect us? Well, now we live in a world of big data. Exactly. How do we actually interpret data? And that's hard. And, and there were plenty of ep- uh, there were plenty of sessions that talked about that interpretation. And heck, I, I think I attended three different ones, including the one we presented. This was really interesting. Um, yeah. So so what shall we do? Let's next? talk about some of the sessions. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's start about that. You know what? I, what I'd like to do, Adam, is share my learnings from the first two days. And I don't even think I had an opportunity to tell you what I had experienced in the first two days, which were day-long workshops. So how about a back to that? You kept raving about them, so I'd love to hear. I kept raving about them. So let's do this. Um, First off, day one. Now, there were a number of different sessions. I was in P07, (laughs) which was Create Effective Microlearning. That was presented by Carla Torgerson of Bull City Learning. I haven't had the opportunity to meet Carla before, but I am so glad I did. Uh, she was supposed to be a two-person show. It was just her, but she carried on like a trooper and and really did an amazing job. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about what I learned in this session. I'll try to keep it a little bit brief, um, but definitely something to check out because I think she does this pretty often. And you can check out her website, Bull City Learning. So microlearning, you know, th- this seems like a buzzword, right? It's uh, But pretty obviously what this breaks down into is you take long-form content you break it up into pieces and you surface these smaller pieces and into like micro doses over time. Uh, one of the clear applications for this is something like, you know, Adam, you probably went through the same thing just recently, awareness training, right? Have you done this recently from your HR team? Uh, of course. Of course. No comment. <laughs> I just went through no, this. No, we actually, we did, we did one recently. We had our, we had our uh, corporate council in there. It was great. We watched scenarios and we, uh, learn more about how we should comport ourselves as managers. How long did that take when you did that whole process? Um, I think that was a two hour, uh, which is mandated by California and Colorado. You have to go to a two hour training. Mm-hmm. And Seattle or in Washington state. Um, I would actually say that I also did a similar training uh, because I'm a soccer coach and that was four hours of training and it was a lot more painful. Um, one of the things I yeah, like to... That's, that's a lot to commit to. It's a lot to commit to. I mean, again, it's really important. And one of the things I, I said to everybody when we looked at this training, we were looking at each other like, oh my goodness, 
you've got two hours solid of stuff that seems pretty common sense, seems intuitive, right? It seems like everybody should be doing this. Well, there's a reason why we're doing this training. But one of the arguments that uh, Carla would make here is using a microlearning type approach. And I'm going to talk about microlearning. And I'm going to talk about day two where I learned about neuroscience, the science of memory uh, in particular. How could this training that you and I and others have done really be more effective? And and we get into why. So let's paint an example. Yeah, I would love to remember that content. <clears throat> I, and, and, and it's hard, right? You sit in a class for two hours, so what are you going to remember? How much do you think, Adam, how much do you think you recall after, let's say, a day of what you learned in a class? Just a Well, guess. you know, I'm going to guess based on uh, the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve. Ooh. I think after a day, you lose 60%? Close. Uh, a 70 is what the what the data shows, what the scientific research oh my shows. So 70% of I shouldn't try to do Ebbinghaus or memory. You see, I've forgotten the, the forgetting curve. <laughs> you forgot. How ironic. And, and it's really interesting. And I'll kind of save some tidbits from what I learned from Art Cohn, who does day two uh, of the training classes that I, that I happen to be in. But yeah, we lose about 70% of what we've learned in about 24 hours. Now think about, think about that. Let that sit in on this show. You're listening listening to what we're saying, you listen to this podcast today, tonight, tomorrow, what did you remember? 30%? Okay, great. That's not a lot. Now, if you are trying to reach your audience of you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of particular learners, and they go watch a class and they go away and they try to use your product, 70% of what they had, what you taught them is gone. That's fact. So microlearning is an attempt to try to augment that so one of the things that I think is interesting, and, and this is my take on this, Adam, and I'm, I'm interested to see how you respond. Um, I do at Outreach a lot of instructor-led training and a lot of virtual instructor-led training in addition to our on-demand content. So one of the things that I got out of this is there are different set points throughout our engagement with a customer in their learning journey that we could do things to really augment and or offset their full experience. So here's my takeaway. Let's, let's think about before training. So, bef so you're going to go out, Adam, and you're going to go take a course, right? Or you're going to go deliver a course. And what are the kind of things that you, in your, tr your trainer hat on right now, you know, it says training on front of it and Slack. What do you do before that training engagement happens? Typically, maybe in the old days. Yeah, you're talking about as as the trainer. Yeah, what is it? What are the things you're going to be thinking about? What are the things you're going to be doing? Well, I'm going to be thinking if if I'm doing it for a specific client, I'm going to be doing discovery with that client on what their goals are and what their objectives are. Uh, if that requires some tailoring potentially of the learning objectives, I'm going to mm -hmm. be thinking about how how that can be done. Right. And then I also want to be thinking about you know what are the interactivities going to be in that course to to support the learning. And of course, I also want to be thinking about, you know, kind of to the point you just made, hey, after that learning, what are we going to do to, to reinforce it over time? And how are we going to make sure that this, this sticks with folks? Are there going to be follow-on activities, uh, pre-work, post-work? Cool. Okay. I think you had points two and three of what we had learned in our marketing learning class. But here's a challenge for you. And I know that I don't commonly do this. I've, I've done this in the past, sometimes in a different way. 
But let's think about that before training. I've got an, I'm an instructor. I'm going to go on site in a week. I've done discovery and all that, like you said. I've prepared really cool material. It's really exciting, really engaging. You know what? One of the things with microlearning approach you could do is send something out to my learners before that training even happens. That might be a small 10-minute module, and maybe that's just configuration. So, for, for example, outreach, one of the most important things if you're an outreach user, you know that you have to integrate your calendar and your email account with our product. That takes sometimes can get tricky. There's some different nuanced uh, things in that. And if I were to sit in class, what commonly happens is somebody raises their hand and says, hey, Dave, uh, this isn't working for me. And then I'm taking class time to help one person when I could have had that, that taken care of and had people reach out to me if they had problems before I even got there. So what do you think about that? I think that makes sense. I mean, it's great to be able to set expectations beforehand so that when people enter the classroom, so to speak, and you have limited time, everyone's walking in on the same page. Exactly. From a practical standpoint, it's something that you have to fight for a little bit, right? Like you have to make sure that the customer is engaged and that everyone is willing to commit to some pre-work before they're going to show up. Indeed. And that's, that's, a, that's a struggle sometimes. Well, let's talk about what you said previously. I think you've got points two and points three. Uh, I'm thinking about after training. So I came in, I delivered training. We know you're going to lose 70% of what you learned. Well, that's where Carla would have, would have suggested, hey, let's implement some boost learning. Have you heard this term before? Boost learning? I know, but I can imagine what it is. What do you think it is? It sounds like after you're done with uh, whatever the, the training intervention is, so to speak, you've got you to gotta boost people back up. You've got you to gotta kind of reinvigorate them and help them remember what they learned. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that could be something really easy. Just a little one minute video clip spread out over time. Um, it, it could be maybe a little bit longer stuff. But if you think about it, if I landed in training today, maybe, and I heard a really cool thing where someone had said, hey, you know what I do is I give the entire class a little postcard with a stamp on it and I have them fill out on it tell me a few things or tell me even one thing that you want to teach your future self in a month from now to remember. And then we'd hold this and send it to send it to those people. They've got it self-addressed envelope. That was really neat. Oh, you know, you know what we would do in, uh, in Slack is we would tell them to oh. set a slash remind <laughs> for themselves in two months. Indeed. And that's really great too. And in fact, uh, one of the people that we had just hired under our team did that in her demo when, when she was coming on board to, uh, or when she was interviewing at our company, like I didn't intentionally tell you that because it was so awesome. Then would you steal her away? <laughs> uh, okay. What's her name? Uh, no. Shh. <laughs> All right. Last one real quick. Uh, performance support. So you may have heard or may not have heard this term before, uh, but this could be something like a lead behind, a job age, a one pager. Um, again, you could have even small 15 second to six minute uh, videos or quizzes doesn't have to be video. It could be anything, just something to read. And what we're finding is that quite often, uh, little small questions, even if you get them wrong, help you learn. And I'm going to give you some teasers on why that happens after the neuroscience class. Uh, so you know, I, I, I love this idea mm -hmm. and I think it makes a lot of sense to provide some sort of performance support afterwards. In fact, I'm a big fan of having lead behinds and, and job aids that, help remind you and kind of trigger that ongoing recall. I can, I can tell you that some of the most 
amazing sessions that I've been to even in person, even that session was, you know, three days long and I had a great experience in there and I learned a lot unless I can actually remember afterwards and I have something to, to boost me or to jog my memory, I might not remember, um, you know, how did that feedback framework actually work? Right. Or, um, what are the steps I need to, uh, you know, log back into that system. So it's helpful to just have that from a really tactical perspective. I guess, Dave, one thing I'm wondering here is <coughs> I haven't seen anyone actually implement this yet, but I know for those of us who use, uh, you know, kind of traditional training approaches in conjunction with digital adoption platforms, <laughs> theoretically, you could say, hey, you know, if someone is coded in the system as having attended training, can we then pop up some prompts in the app that they're using for those of us who use software products or, mm -hmm. or who train on software products um, to actually surface some of that ongoing learning for them? Like, could we exactly. actually use our digital adoption platforms to do that? Well, why not? And let me mention this uh, outright is that there are a couple platforms that, that Carla had mentioned and I went to go visit, like Stream, uh, Asconify, and Serigo. And, you know, there's products oh, out I there. I think that, J.D. Dillon is from Exonify, right? He was one of the keynotes. In, indeed. Uh, these are applications that are built to deliver micro-learning. So if you're really interested in this, you could check it out. But to build upon what you were saying, let's just talk Slack for a minute. Now, like you, because you work there, I, you, I live in Slack more and more every single day. But it is a wonderful platform where you could literally help people to set these kind of reminders up or theoretically come up with some kind of mechanism that would deliver that in your app about whatever you wanted to do. Um, in outreach, we have a concept called the sequence. And the sequence really is designed for sales engagement. It's, it's getting people to close a call or to book a meeting or to, you know, you know to, to buy a product, right? But it can also be used, it's a platform. It can be used in many different ways. So we could build a sequence that sent emails and notifications and instant messages to help boost your memory. So those of you listening, if you work for a, a company like one of ours, where you have these kind of mechanisms where your app itself could help deliver that, that's one of the first places that I would even recommend to take a look at. Yeah, I think, you know, there, there are a lot of interesting micro learning solutions out there. But for customer education, especially, if those can be contextual, and if those can actually relate to the product that people should be using every day, then it's going to be all the more powerful. Indeed. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's go on to day two because you know we're a little long in the tooth. Um, I did want to say that day two is probably my favorite day of the event because I got to meet Mr. or should say Professor Art Cohn, K-O-H-N. He's a professor at Portland State University School of Business, also has his own company. And he took an entire day to build upon all the stuff that he learned the day before. I don't know if this was intentional, but I think it was aligned in such a way that this could be facilitated because Carla recommended going to his class and I had forgot I signed up for them. I'm like, oh my God, this is great. So let me tell you why this was really cool. This was neuroscience, right? We already established 70% of training is forgotten in the first 24 hours, but why? Why the heck is this actually happening? So what do you think about our brain, Adam, that it makes it such that we forget we're so forgetful just wild guess my my wild guess is that our brains are still kind of hardwired as it were to be very attentive to the present mm -hmm. and we kind of extrapolate the present into the past and the future because 
our, our brains are essentially still, um, you know, looking for saber-toothed tigers and not necessarily thinking about um, what we did a week ago. Exactly. And there's so much. I, I could spend probably two hours unpacking what I learned in an eight-hour class. Of course, that makes sense. But yeah, we... I think it's it's okay to forget. And that's one of the things as a learner that I struggle with. I've struggled that with that throughout my entire academic history. Like, hey, you don't remember the answer to this question. Oh, silly me. Why did I forget that? We're we are animals. We're our brains are designed intentionally to forget stuff. Otherwise, we would be completely overwhelmed. Right? Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to pick out a few highlights because I'm going to I'm going to leave you with a call to action to look up Art Cohn because this is something this material that he has is exceptional. If you can go to DevLearn or another event and catch him, you really should. So I'm going to pull out a couple of things that that are interesting. You know, for example, one of the first things he would would talk about is that memory is constructed. So it's not like it just stuff goes into your head and just sticks. It is an active process, meaning that, and I like his quote here, teaching is a contact sport. What do you think about that? I mean, I, I think it is, right? Like when you think about training a lot of the time, we take this very content first approach where we're like, if we can just take a very smart person and put them in a room, <coughs> have them open up their head and and take out their brain and just jam it into the learner's heads, then then that equals learning. And that means mm-hmm. the learners are going to go and, and remember that. But that's not really how learning works, right? That's not how our brains work. And, and it's really important to make sure that instead of thinking about it with that model of just how much content do I need to jam in someone's head from a smart person who knows it, let's start thinking about how do we engage and motivate people to make this learning their own and to think about how it's going to become relevant to them and to actually get them through the discomfort of, of trying it out or modeling it. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things he talked about was how allegories, you know, in our, in our talk that, that we gave at the event, we brought up parables or allegories or stories. Storytelling is an, an inherent part of the human condition, right? I mean, we've done it for tens of thousands of years, most likely. We tell stories. It makes content relatable. And yeah, I think I think you bring up a good point here, which is that, you know, there, there is no validation in neuroscience for the traditional learning styles, mm-hmm. video, audio, video, audio, kinesthetic. Yeah. Um, but there certainly is credence, I think, behind some of these techniques that really do aid in retention. So storytelling, um, visual aids do work. It's not that people have a visual learning style per se, but if the visual is relevant, it is. I think does trigger different parts of the brain than if you're just speaking at them. Indeed. Indeed. He says, ironically on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's really, it's really interesting. So let me pick out a couple of the things, Adam, and, and then I want to wrap this section up so that we can get into the rest of the event. Uh, here's one that, that I thought was really cool called the gold standard of remembering. And the story he told was that, Hey, you know, it, a, an employee went to um, a conference and they went to some classes at that conference or they attended a training with, uh, with um, their vendor. And in this story, he had said the manager, that person's manager, she called this person and said, hey, can you tell me more about what you, what you learned? You know, this would be a great opportunity for a one-on-one. And this is something that I don't even think we explicitly call, uh, call out in 
are in a relationship with customers where your manager should definitely ask about what you learned because what that does is it helps this thing called the halo effect. When you remember one thing, you start remembering other things. And what's really crucial for us is repetition, right? And it, and because of that active what's construct- that, Dave? Repetition. What's that, Dave? Repetition. Okay, I think I'm going to remember it now. We got our cold open. Cool. <laughs> um, that repetition, and, and, and one of the things is, if you go back to your company or you go back to your environment with all of your peers, by merit of you explaining what you learn, you're going to condition your memory to retain that information. So that's that interaction with other people. That's something we should encourage. And that's why in a lot of times we have workshops where we're asking people to work together and then have somebody come up and tell their findings. Really cool stuff. Well, and you know, the, the note that you have in here about challenging people to recall, I think the element of challenge is also really important here because for a lot of us, we learn more when we try something and, and fail. That mm-hmm. sticks in our mind a lot more than when we just succeed or you know we answer a softball question. That's yeah. not a, usually as effective as, as a learning experience. And so a lot of the instructional designers that I know who are really effective, they'll experiment with approaches like starting with a really challenging question or scenario that doesn't have a clear answer. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of reverse engineer your way into it. Yeah, and that was one of the things he had actually brought up. and. There, there was one part in our session where he encouraged actually kind of an argument. And this tapped into a couple different things, primarily the emotions that we have as human beings, which was, was shocking because he said he, he phrased something in such a way that there was a little bit of ambiguity and encouraged a couple of people to stand up and defend their opinion about that, only to reveal the actual answer later after we had gone through the debate process. And that made it, even whether you're a pro or a con, stick, which is really cool and a really powerful technique. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I really want to check out more of Art Cohn's work. You're also reminding me of a couple of books that are on memory and, and learning in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh, and they have very similar titles. Uh, one of them is called Made to Stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the one with duct tape on the cover. <laughs> and it's by the uh, the Heath brothers, Dan and Dan and Chip, and that one is a little more um, a little more like a you know pop pop psychology. I don't say that as a pejorative. I actually love the book, but it's got a lot of really good a- anecdotes in there too about what helps people remember different ideas and concepts. Um, and then the second one that I would recommend is again very similar title here. It's actually called Make It Stick, and it's by uh, Peter Brown. Uh, as well as some co-authors. And that one is more about the science of successful learning and what sticks in people's brains. So I would say a few good resources there, especially if you're an instructional designer who is new to uh, customer education or if you're someone who's just getting into the education world for the first time and maybe you've been a CSM in the past, uh, check out some of these books on the science of learning. It's really going to help. Yeah, I think it's really going to help. But let's continue and... Let's take just a little bit more time and talk about the rest of the event. Uh, you, you joined me uh, Wednesday evening. You were there for a couple of days. Uh, uh, let, I'm going to turn this over to you, and you tell me some of the things that you thought were particularly cool in sessions you attended. Yeah, so uh, I was lucky. I, I got to see a few sessions, even though I wasn't there for very long. Uh, one of the sessions that I attended was with Matt Pierce, 
who is from TechSmith, who you may know as the creators of Snagit and Camtasia. Mm -hmm. And he was actually sharing the results of a research report that TechSmith had done uh, around how people engage with video for learning. So some of the research that he was sharing is, well, how do people even find content in the first place? Well, a lot of people search for it. Uh, Some stumble on it. Some are required to find it. Um, But a lot of people also share it with one another. And what he started to do that I thought was really interesting is he started to break down the different components of a video um, and what is actually effective or not effective when you're just searching for it. So he had different examples of learning on the same topic in YouTube, which frankly is where a lot of people go to learn these days. Totally. So uh, Dave, what do you think are some of the examples uh, or, or, or attributes in a video that might cause it to be clicked on or not clicked on when you're searching? Oh, um, a title that looks interesting, you know, and it relates to something that you actually care about. Yep, that's that's a good one. Relevant title. Mm. Any any others? Uh, maybe a good picture that as I'm searching through YouTube and I look at a title and it looks something that looks interesting visually. Yeah. A good uh, thumbnail. That was on the list, although that wasn't as high as I thought it would be. Oh, okay. We're 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 playing. Um, oh God, what is that game? <coughs> Survey says uh, Family Feud. Family Feud. Okay, we're playing an episode of Family Feud here. Yeah. Uh, can you can you guess? Yeah. Can you guess what was number two on the scoreboard? Hmm. Length. Yes, that's it. You got it. Woo. Um, and the interesting finding here was that. It didn't need to be, you know, the the shortest or the longest video. It was that the length was acceptable. And that's going to take some testing to figure out what is an acceptable length for your learners. But I think Mm. when we talk about micro learning, because you were just talking about this a moment ago, there's kind of a myth or a misconception that there is one certain length or or a certain threshold that makes it micro learning. Like it has to be under two minutes or under five minutes or three to five minutes. You hear numbers get thrown out, mm-hmm. but really it's what is an acceptable length to make it resonate with your audience. Well, that may change depending on the time of Dave. And I, I know that I, I'm gonna admit freely, I watch a lot of YouTube. I do that intentionally so I. because I, I, I'm learning from influencers and people that make these videos that are just phenomenal. Some people do just a great job, but I'll look at the time sometimes and you know, it's okay, it's 12 o'clock at night, I'm in bed, and I shouldn't be looking at my phone, but I can't get to sleep. And I'm just going to watch one little video on something. And, and if it's short, brief, I'm like, yeah, I'll watch that. And then I'll turn on this music, and go to sleep. But if it's super long at that point, I won't watch it. But then if it was the middle of the day, and I'm at, at work, and it's lunch, and it's a relevant topic for what I'm doing, I might watch a 30 minute video. Yeah, and you know, his research actually validated that. So a lot of people in the survey that they did preferred ranges like two to three minutes or maybe even five to six minutes for instructional videos. Like mm-hmm. there still was some preference towards chunking things out. But, you know, still there were some people who opted for seven to nine minutes or 10 to 19 minutes. So don't make assumptions, um, you know, uniformly about how long a video should be before you validate it with your audience a little bit and and certainly don't get into the trap of it has to be one minute or less, otherwise it's not micro learning. Right. And he shared a story from uh, working on their certification program that as they were chunking out their videos, they were taking 15 hours of video learning and their feedback internally continuously was that the pace was too slow. Hmm. They wanted the person to narrate it faster. But when they, they surveyed their audience on this, actually 71% of their customers 
Uh, Matt, I hope you don't mind that I'm sharing your stats. You presented this publicly, <laughs> and I thought these were amazing, and I think these are going out in your report. <laughs> but 71% of their customers actually said it was a really good pace. And you know why? Why's that? Because, because as a reviewer, you have the curse of knowledge. You know what's going to be said. You know what the answer is. So yeah. you want the person to speed up and move on. But as a learner learning it for the first time, you need to go slower because guess what? You're processing that information. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so what else from this? I'll, I'll, I'll just cover off a, a few more points. Um, why do people stop viewing videos? Dave, do you have, a, do you have an idea of why people stop or, or drop off in videos? Uh, it just gets boring or repetitive and, and isn't, it, it, I might be in a video and I think it does one thing and it just doesn't get there. So I give yes, up on so it. Yes, you actually, sure in, in your response, you just got the two most common reasons. The most common was it, it wasn't what I expected. Mm-hmm. And then another one was, yeah, because it was, it was boring. I, I wasn't engaged. But, you know, the interesting one, Dave, is that one that actually showed up a lot less than you would expect was the, the quality of the video. Oh, really? People are becoming increasingly tolerant of lower quality video. And I think part of that is... You know, video has been democratized a little more. You don't need Mm -hmm. something that is TV quality all the time. But I also think it might be because our ability to produce higher quality video on more of a budget is increasing. Yeah. So it's just it's not becoming a barrier anymore as long as the content is relatable. And as long as the, you know, audio, for example, isn't distracting, there's not a lot of clicks and pops and and fuzz, Mm -hmm. then, you know, people are, are becoming more more tolerant. You know, I, I was just going to take a second to to relate, <laughs> so what I did there, uh, to some other classes that I went through, and I, I don't really want to take all the time to like dig into them, but related to, to Matt's, there was a ton of different how-to sessions, like use visual design to create engaging e-learning. Uh, that was a session done by Tim Slade. He can be found at timslade.com. Uh, there was film school for learning professionals. Oh my gosh, this was amazing. Done by Jonathan Hall. He was the CEO of Trainer Mojo. Um, there was, uh, oh gosh, I think I went to four or five different sessions on video alone. And you know, the film school one, I think was phenomenal because it talked about how do you break up, you know, where do you put somebody's eyes in context? And how, how often do you change the what's happening on the screen to get your tap into your monkey mind, you know, that I need to be seeing things are changing all the time. <laughs> so I'm not trying to yeah. distract from what you were saying here. But this event did a really good job giving you a palette or a canvas of different kinds of engaging classes to learn from. So again, no, I, I agree, Dave. Go. And, and in fact, I went to a similar one as well. I went to one on on what we can learn about podcasts, if we're going to mm-hmm. use podcasts as part of our educational suite. So, you know, appropriately enough, I wanted to see what I could take away for for our own show. But, you know, the, the one of the big themes that I would take away overall is that for instructional designers, whether you're in customer education or elsewhere, the nature of the job is starting to expand. You're expected not just to be a person who can, you know, do Addy, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, you actually need to be thinking about how to produce quality content, how to make it engaging, how to use some of the techniques that filmmakers and audio producers and storytellers use uh, because of the the changing world of instructional design and the changing world of learning expectations. So, you know, maybe just to wrap all of this up, I, I think that's the value in going to an event like this is you you start to get some some deep marination in the things that instructional designers care a lot about, you know, mm-hmm. learners, what makes their brains work? What processes do you use? How do you design content that really sticks? 
but also some of these uh, kind of orthogonal fields that really um, help us become more creative and just increase our craftsmanship for what we deliver. I love that. Actually, I think that's a really good place to start wrapping up. Uh, and, and let me mention a couple other things. You know, at this event, we also had the good fortune of of going to things like uh, an intro to XAPI. Megan Torrance did that. I wanted to call that out because really interesting if you're if you're looking into you know integrating with different apps. Um, I saw some really cool stuff. Like one session I thought was phenomenal, which was a vendor uh, presentation, which was on microlearning gamification without the games. Uh, this is Dan Bellhausen of Neovation Learning Solutions. I was really I was there with you for that one. Yeah, I was really struck by this. I, I, I would like, I'm interested to see what, what you would say, but again, want to keep it short here. I think it was really cool because it took all the nonsense out of gamification and delivered the things that actually do provide value. What are the yeah, things? I mean, as, as, we, as we wrap up, I, I, I agree. When you go to a conference like this, I think a lot of the times our, our motivation is more FOMO than anything. We just mm-hmm. don't want to miss the latest trend. Um, so we, we kind of jump at things that seem cool or shiny objects without thinking about how they're actually going to apply to our program. Agreed. So I love when you know we kind of demystify this content and really make it relevant to what we're trying to do. Well, with that, Adam, I think we should wrap it up. So why don't you close this out? That was out. some great witty banter. <laughs> we always have a good time in this show. Indeed. And if you want more witty banter or just want to learn more, we have a podcast website at HTTPS. That's a secure URL, customer.education, where you can find show notes and other material. On Twitter, I am at Avermescu. And I am at Dave Darrington. Special thanks to Alan Coda for our theme music. And if this helped you out, you can help us out by subscribing in your podcatcher of choice, wherever you find podcasts, or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those two things really, really make the algorithms happy and they expose our podcast to many other people. So uh, please spread the love. Indeed. And let's close this out once again by saying to, to all of you in our audience, thanks for joining us. Get out there, educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening.